Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. Well, hey, good morning. Thank you. Um, again, I'm so glad that you're here, excited for the opportunity that we have this morning uh, just to hear from God and, and get into his word. So we've been so blessed here at Redemption So We've had so many new faces coming through the doors that I really want to uh, kind of make sure everybody knows what's going on. So I'm going to introduce myself again. My name is Garrett Richards. I'm an elder here at Redemption's Hill. Uh, I am not the normal preaching guy. That guy is probably at this moment careening down a mountain on his bike. Um, some of you are hoping he's going to wipe out and catch it on GoPro. I know a few of you have been actively rooting just for like a, not a serious wipeout, but a little wipeout video. Um, but we, uh, I, I've talked to both TJ and Allie this week and uh, and it seems like they're having a great vacation. I'm so happy for them to get away and, and get filled in. But I can tell you that they, their hearts are still with us here, that they are praying for you. They are praying for us. Uh, and we're just so blessed to have them. Uh, so if you're not already, would you just continue to pray for them? Uh, that God would just fill them up, that he would encourage them, uh, that, that he would protect them uh, while careening down mountains. Uh, and that they would have a great time. So uh, I am. Uh, I get to occasionally speak. Uh, I feel that that my brother Clayton a few weeks ago put the pressure on me when he was introducing himself um, because he was he was talking about his beautiful family and he was talking about his wife and he was quoting scripture and he, he it was like t- talk, telling us how his wife is like more valuable than rubies and I was like, dang, bro, like put the pressure on. So my wife, beautiful wife and family's here, but um, she knows more than rubies. So, uh, but I am excited for the opportunity. Um, A a little bit about me. I grew up, I'm a preacher's kid. Uh, I grew up a preacher's kid and I grew up in the Pentecostal church. uh, And I am jacked about our text this week. And I'm just going to warn you that as I, even as I was reading, preparing, I could just feel like some of my Pentecostal roots starting to show a bit today, so I'm going to try to, to keep it reined in and not get too preachy, but just be forewarned. So we are going to continue this morning through our series in Nehemiah. As I was preparing and trying to think about, um, it's really hard for me to uh, kind of do an intro about like seven chapters of Nehemiah that we've covered so far. And, and honestly, Blake in last week's message did such a great job. I, I just almost wanted to like copy and paste. So if you really wanted a, a better intro of where we've been through this series in Nehemiah, listen to last week's podcast because Blake just did a beautiful job with that. Um, but as kind of I stated a few weeks ago, when we cover Nehemiah 6, um, is that Nehemiah was not just called to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem, right, which he has done where we're at today. The wall has been done. God's favor was with him, and we've seen God all over it, and we've seen God's people come together and do this amazing job to rebuild the wall in such a short amount of time. But what we talked about a few weeks ago, and we saw more of last week, is that Nehemiah wasn't just called to build the wall. God's plan was not just for this wall to be built, but um, also to rebuild his people, okay? Because it is not walls that make a city, right? It's, it's the people. 
And we'll, if you really think about it, reforming or the reforming of community is actually a more challenging task than restoring the walls. So that has been done. And then we saw last week through Blake's message with the wall done, right? God's people are secure inside it. We saw this, and, and Blake did such a beautiful job with a really tough text. I've been joking all week. Somehow he got like 70 verses of just like lineage and names that you can't pronounce, right? And I get to talk today about like the people of God just like partying in like this revival church service. But Blake did such a great job going through that and showing us how this was really uh, a roll call, so to speak, to unite the people of God, right? The wall is built, the people are inside. Now he's saying, here's who we are. Let's take inventory of who we have, this roll call of the people of God and our heritage as the people of God and to unite us together in this mission and in the calling that God would have for us and to unite us in our worship or their worship of God. So today in Nehemiah 8, God is, or the word is going to show us kind of what happens when the people of God come together seeking to know his word that they repent of their sin and they humbly, and here's the real, the, the real key I, I just feel and I want us to get today, they humbly and joyfully obey God's word. Today, this passage is going to show us a really thrilling, what I think is a thrilling example of what the hearts of the people of God should truly look like in the community of faith. It's a beautiful picture that we're going to go to. So if you will, open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8, or we have those study guides that we have out there on the table. You can open that. We're going to start reading with verse 1. Again, as usual, we're not going to read kind of through the whole chapter. We're going to cover the whole chapter today, but we'll break it up into some parts. So we're going to start reading with verse 1. Nehemiah 8, 1 says this. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Verse four, and Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood Mattathiah and Shema and Aniah and Uriah and Hilkiah and Messiah On his right hand, and Padiah, and Mishael, and Malchijah, and Hashem, and Hashbanana. (laughs) That was really bad. Hashbadana. I never practiced it like that. That's awful. Zechariah and Meshulam on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood Verse 6, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. 
Also, Jeshua and Benai and Sherebiah and Jamin and Akab and Shabbatai and Hodiah and Messiah and Kalida and Azariah and Jozebad and Hannah and Peliah and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. Verse 8, they read from the book from the law of God clearly and they gave the sin so that the people understood the reading. Let's take a break there and let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Uh, God, we just thank you for this time that we have. Lord, we just, God, I just, I just want you to be glorified and honored this morning. Lord, I want you to speak, Lord, less of me and more of you today. God, would you send your spirit to make sense of, of this word and, and my ramblings, God? May we hear from you and may you receive all the glory. May you show us God, and give us joy and rejoicing in the truth of your gospel and who we are as believers in you this morning. We love you. We praise your glorious and mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. So as soon as the building work of the wall came to an end, right, we saw in chapter six that the wall was completed. As soon as that was done, that project was done, that massive task, something incredible happened, right? And some might call it a coincidence or great timing, but we, if you've been with us, we have seen God's hand all over this story. And we know that this is just part of God's amazing plan for the success and the well-being of his people, right? But here's what it was. On the first day of the seventh month, was a public holiday known as the Feast of Trumpets. That's where we find ourselves in the text today, the Feast of Trumpets. So only a few days after the wall has been completed, because of this feast, hundreds of men and women and children gathered in Jerusalem for a New Year's type celebration, right? The scripture says anybody that could understand gathered in this one place, united, and it kicked off with a public gathering that centered around the reading of God's word. So, so chapter 8 really kicks off telling us that the people are gathered in unity. As we saw last week from Blake's message, that call, that roll call of who's in the family, right, and, and uniting us, now we see that's exactly what is happening because the scripture tells us that they are gathered as one man, hundreds of people gathered together in unity. Now, it's a little difficult for us to truly appreciate um, the unity uh, uh, in the people of God until you've truly experienced disunity in the people of God, right? Which is what has plagued much of ancient, ancient Israel's history thus far. So we may not appreciate it the way that they did, right? So much so that there are much fewer examples in the Old Testament and the New Testament, for that matter, of the people of God being united as one man. We see all over where there's disunity among the people. But it's much rarer that we see them gathered as one man. And the Apostle Paul even confronts this problem of disunity in, the first, in his first letter uh, to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, Now I exhort you, brethren... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you 
and that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. Unity in the church is what we are called to have. And this unity described in Nehemiah 8 is the picture of the kind of unity that Paul is writing about here in Corinthians, right? This is what he would be saying because this is not unity just for unity's sake, as Paul warns about later in his letter to the Corinthians. But instead, what we see today is the people of God are united in the purposes and the will of Christ, They desired, they gathered together and they desired to hear the word of God read to them. They sought to know God's purposes and will for them through his word. It says they asked Ezra to bring the word, the book of the law of Moses and to read it to them. They desired to hear this read to them and it is in in places and times such as this, this example that we see today, where the word of God is central and the people are listening attentively, it's places like this where the spiritual renewal of the people of God can take place. It's places like this, in situations like this, when revival takes place. So the people of God All ages and genders, anyone who could listen and understand gathered together corporately to be taught the word of God. It's such a beautiful picture of true gospel community in my mind. If you could just picture it, I see families gathered, right? The place to be. And I'm sure it was like crazy, right? We've experienced that in in COVID as we've had our kids in here and it's like, It's crazy, but it's a beautiful picture of just families. It's not clean. It's not pretty. It's ugly. It's messy, but it's beautiful. That's what I see in my mind. These families gathered, truly the place to be. I can't miss experience. When you think of it like that, when you picture it and truly understand what is happening, we have to be careful not to undervalue the importance of hearing God's word together, corporately, right? It's essential to help us remember the breadth of God's work and salvation and how we are all members of one another in Christ. That same heritage, that same 70 verses of lineage that we read last week, that we are part of that. What a great reminder that we need one another in the body of God of Christ. It's a beautiful picture of what's happening here of of community centered around God. So Ezra the priest begins to read the scriptures to the crowd. It says from early morning to midday. Now true statement here, typically when I preach, I will practice at home and I will time myself to make sure I don't go off off the rails, right? Last week, my goal was like 35 minutes, and I think it wound up, or two weeks ago, I think it was like 40-some-odd minutes. But true story, I did not time myself this week, so I'm going to try to keep it under control. But this says that, that Ezra preached from early morning to midday, right? That's a long time. And it says that the people were hanging on every Word because they realize these people, this people in this circumstance and what they've been through, realize that their lives 
truly depend on the word of God. Remember, they asked him to bring the word. They likely would have already known some of what the law said. Leviticus 18.4, for example, says, So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which many may live, and if he, do, if he does them, I am the Lord. Right? They would have known that. And the New Testament carries on the message of how essential God's word is to the believer. John 8 says, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So the people of God in our story today are united together in their desire to hear the word of the Lord and to respond in worship. To respond in worship. Again, last week we saw this kind of call to worship. And now in verse 6 is where this really starts to get me jacked up, right? Where I start to get fired up. I already told you that my Pentecostal roots might flare up this morning. But this, in verse 6, is what I would call when it starts to to happen where I, I would say, like, it's about to go down, right? It's that about to go down moment in the service. This is like, for us here... This is like when some of you get a little bit excited, like during worship service, and maybe like some of somebody's like belting it up here on the front, and I can hear them, right? It just gets, it's like, oh boy, here, here we go, right? Some of you maybe sing a little bit louder than normal. Maybe you get a little charismatic, right? And maybe you like, maybe you raise a hand, like, oh, oh, oh. spirit's doing something to us, right? Maybe some of you, you start to like sway a little bit, right? Those things. That's when I usually, if I'm playing guitar, I turn to TJ and we lock eyes and, and we're saying it. It's about to go down, right? We are about, let's, let's just go crazy. Let's freak out and have some church. So that's what I envision happening right here, right? The people are attentively listening to the word of the Lord, seeking instruction from the Lord. And they begin to respond in reverence to his holy word. It says when he, when he opened the book, they stood, right? Reverence to it. And they began to worship. The scholar Raymond Brown said this in my studies, and I wanted to share it. It says, in this meeting, the people made no distinction between the exposition of scripture and the offering of worship. Exposition and adoration belonged to each flowing naturally into the other. We adore God as much by faithful exposition as by wholeheartedly singing. Lively, relevant, biblical exposition ought to promote genuine adoration, just as inspired singing can create a longing for more of the truth we have just been exalting. That is so good. That's so good. What, what can demonstrate our esteem for the Lord any more than a desire and longing to listen to and ho- obey his word, right? And truthfully, we all know that's not how we walk in here every morning, right? Did everybody here walk in and be like, Man, I can't wait to hear the sermon this morning. I can't wait to hear that. Is it like, oh, probably, probably shouldn't hit snooze another time. Probably better, better get up if I want to. Want to be there by 10 after, right? 
It's so good. What could demonstrate what we think of the Lord any more than a desire and longing to listen to and obey his word? I want this for us. I want this for me, right? And do not our songs of praise lead us to want to hear God's word? And does not our hearing of God's word result in our desire to praise him, right? That's why our liturgy is here at HR, at, at, at RH, so I'm in HR. That's why we have our liturgy set up here at Redemption Hill the way that we do, right? That we praise him at the beginning. We come in and we sing songs that we hope and that our prayer is that, that stir us to a desire to hear more about him, right? We sing of, of his goodness and I'm a child of God and we want to hear more about this father, right? Then we preach his word with a hope that it will stir in us a desire to praise him with song, right? It becomes this beautiful, life-giving cycle of singing his goodness and learning about his goodness and singing of his mercy and wanting to learn more about his mercy and singing of his grace and wanting to learn more of his grace. All the time, our hearts are just overwhelmed. If we let it sink in, if our focus is truly on him, overwhelmed, by the love of our Father. This is church, man. This is what I want a glimpse of. I want to be a part of that. So Ezra, the scripture says, Ezra blessed the Lord. And the people hearing it desire to bless him as well. So they begin to display this outward sign of their readiness to submit to him by listening and obeying to his word. They're not just sitting here, right, thinking about where I'm going to go to lunch after this. Or I wonder if it rained too much for me to be able to mow the grass this afternoon. But they are listening, ready to submit and obey his word. This shows us that their desire for knowledge of God isn't just for knowledge's sake, right? Because we know that knowing does not equal following. It's not the same thing. There are far too many who know God's words through study. And they might even be willing to tell others about it, right? But they might fail to submit their lives to it. Knowing does not equal leading. That's the blind leading the blind. For us as believers here today, it's inherent to the mission of the church to not only study God's word, but to obey it, to be transformed by it, and to make disciples by proclaiming it to others. Let's continue reading through the text today. Verse 9. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. It's church, man, I'm telling you. People were weeping when they heard the word being brought forward. In verse 10, then he said to them, go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this is the day, for this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy 
of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people saying, be quiet for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And verse 12, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. I told you they were having some church, right? Ezra's reading scriptures. People are like raising their hands and they're on their face and people are weeping at what they're hearing. It's like they're hearing it for the first time in a new way, a different way than they ever have before. Right? Maybe they had knowledge of it before, but now their hearts are ready to hear it and believe it. And it says they are moved deeply in their emotions. They're mourning. They're weeping at what they are hearing and seeing where they stand and how they hold up. Luke 6, 21 says, Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Right? As the... As the resident crier here at Redemption's Hill, you guys are laughing, right? You guys know, I can't help it sometimes. When we're singing and hearing of the word of God, it just it messes with me and I'm done trying to fight it, right? I feel this as the one who, who can't get through a sentence sometimes without weeping, right? I feel this. So here's the truth for, for the people gathering in this scripture as well as us here today at Redemption's Hill. It's when the light of God's word shines on us that we begin to recognize the darkness in our own hearts, right? It's when the light of God's word shines on us that we begin to recognize the darkness in our own hearts. And it's impossible for sinners to catch a glimpse of the perfect God and not be convicted by our own sin. When we truly approach the word of God, when we can open it or set in its teaching and want to hear it and want to obey it, we cannot sit there and hear that about God's goodness and his holiness and not see the darkness in our own hearts and not be convicted by our own sin. And that's not duty. That's things that I hear over and over again, and it frustrates me. It's not duty. It's conviction. It's a fatherly correction. It's love, and it's beautiful, right? It leads to life more abundantly is what it does. It's not taking anything from you, and it's not putting anything on you. It is life-giving. When the people of Israel begin to hear God's holy law, they begin to see the holy God of the law. They don't see burden, they see God. They see his mercy. They see their sinfulness. They see his goodness. What these people were experiencing corporately together is remarkable. It's remarkable. Remember where we're at in the story. Remember that these people, they have experienced at this point a physical release from Babylonian captivity. These people have been in captivity. Now they've experienced that physical release. They're inside the walls. But what we see today here at the Watergate, gathered in unity as one man, they experience spiritual release from bondage of sin. 
as they begin to repent of it before God. Just as their sin had led them into Babylonian captivity, it had also led them into spiritual captivity. And just as God mercifully and graciously freed them from physical captivity, so he is ready to free them from their spiritual captivity. He's ready to give them new life, more abundantly. Remember, they were always the people of God, right? We're not necessarily talking about salvation. They were always the people of God, even as slaves. But now they are experiencing a greater freedom through faithful obedience to God's laws and his calling. Man, that's good news for us today, right? I'm not here saying, hey, if you don't love Sydney, if you're not jacked up to come to church today, or if you don't just can't wait to open your Bible, that if it's a struggle for you, that you are somehow lesser in the sight of God, right? If your faith is in him, Jesus' blood, his redemption covers it all. You're good, right? But what the enemy will, can do and what we saw a few weeks ago is he wants to c- cause as much collateral damage as possible. If he can hurt you or keep you from living life as abundantly and experiencing the goodness of God, he will absolutely do it. And that's what the people of God saw here. They were always the people of God, but now they are experiencing new life and new freedom and new joy. And they are rejoicing. We can leave a lot of good stuff on the table, right? Because we are chasing after and looking to other things. So it's, it's a mess here, right? It's a blubbering, it's a blubbering mess, the people are weeping, so much so that those preachers are like, guys, stop, like, stop your mourning. The people are wrecked by their sin, but our good and loving God doesn't just convict us and put us to shame. And because of God's readiness to forgive those who repent, Ezra and Nehemiah and the Levites, they shepherd the people well and encourage them to stop their weeping and mourning and instead to celebrate, right? It's time to party. Let's celebrate. Let's rejoice. The people were focusing only on one part of the message, right? Remember, God's light shines and shows us the darkness. And if you get so caught up in the darkness, it's overwhelming, because we can't fix that. And you're like, man, I'm way worse than I thought I was. And that's what the people were doing. They saw their sin, but they were failing to see God's mercy and grace. But thank God that that is not how the word of God works if we are reading it appropriately. That is not how the word of God works. The word of God not only shines a light on the hearts of sinners, but it also points to a God who is ready to forgive the person who repents of their sin. It's God's cleansing that makes the sinner right before God, and it is in his righteousness that results in the joy of the Lord. Nothing on our own, right? Our ways lead to captivity. It is because of this truth of God's forgiveness that makes us right before God and results in the joy of of the Lord and the joy of the Lord that strengthens the righteous and gives them hope. So the people rejoiced. Man, I feel I want to rejoice. I feel like rejoicing this morning 
This is a natural response. When the people of God hear and understand the word of God. Psalm 1-2 says, but delight in, his, in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Psalm 19-8 says, the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And Psalm 119-111 says, I have inherited your testimonies forever, for they are the joy of my heart. So here's the question I was stirred by this week. I think it's a fair question as, as we're, we're hearing this and seeing this beautiful celebration going on. Is do we experience joy in our beliefs? Do we experience joy? Now, we've, we've, we've tried to be careful over the years here, and we're not talking about some perma-smile, right? Fake it till you make it kind of joy. But do we experience rejoicing? when we open the word of God, when we sing together, when we hear the preaching, how are we responding to the word of God? Do we, do we weep? Does it lead us to raise our hands or bow before him or repent? Does it lead to greater joy? Because it is there. The Lord offers it to us through his word. Let's finish the text. Verse 13. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and the Levites came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. More studying going on, right? Can't get enough of the word right now. These people who are experiencing life in, in, a, in a new way can't get enough of the word of God. And they found it written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the feast of the seventh month, which is where we're at. And they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths, as it is written. Verse 16, so the people went out and brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof. And in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the square at the water gate and in the square at the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua to the son, the son of Nun to that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. And day by day, from the first day to the last, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days. And on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. This is a party, right? Have you ever experienced church like this? Like reading of the God so much so that we're like, Drop everything, right? Let's all live together in these huts that we made. Let's party. Let's rejoice, right? When I was reading this, I, I was just thinking about how, how, many, how we think sometimes Christianity is boring, right? 
When we see duty, we feel like, oh, I can't do anything fun. God just wants to take all the fun. It's not, this is a party, man. This is fun. Just picture it. The wall is rebuilt. The people are uniting in their heritage as the people of God. They want to learn more. They want to worship and praise their God. Then they get to take an entire week to build these little party huts and just worship. Just worship. To feast and worship to feast and fellowship, to pray, to hear the word of the Lord. What a blow to the enemy this has to be. Right? When the people of God stop all of their worldly pursuits, they just drop everything. The things that they're, that they're chasing after, that the enemy dangles in front of us to get our attention and distract us, the things that lead to our physical and spiritual captivities. When we turn from all of that and we cast our efforts and time and focus to the praise and worship of our God. Take that, devil, right? Imagine the rest that they must have felt. Imagine the joy that they must have experienced to go from weeping over their fallenness, right? Weeping and mourning to the word saying, hey, it's time to rejoice. Rejoice securely as part of the family of God. This picture of feasting just gets me, it just gets me jacked up, right? TJ preached it a while back, and I believe he called this idea of feasting like just an attack on the enemy, right? A way that we can do battle with the enemy to just feast. And it gets me fired up because I long for it so bad. Like personally, I have felt the Lord for about the last two years calling me out of the cycles of, of kind of self-medication that I do to myself, right? And, and searching for rest in, in worldly things. Always looking forward to like, well, when vacation gets here, or days, I just need some days off, or in my Netflix, or in hobbies, or in late night sugar binges, all the things that, that I in my stupid flesh do and run to, I felt the Lord trying to wake me from that. And through his goodness and his mercy, and honestly through the beauty of his word and listening to his teachings, my family and I have gotten to experience a new depth of rest in worship, and it is, to be honest with you, it's a rest that I, I, I can't get enough of. We haven't mastered it. We don't get it right every week, but we want more of it. A true blow to the devil, this is, who wants us to chase after rest and other things to keep us exhausted and keep us disappointed when those things don't actually bring us Rest. What we see here and what we have in my family have gotten to experience a little piece of is this slow, methodical, intentional worship. And I will tell you that it has stirred me and my family to a joy that we haven't experienced before. To unity that we could not, that we didn't think could get any stronger, but through God it has. And when you get to experience something that good, you want more of it. That's what the people are experiencing here. To drop their pursuits, to just worship, right? And it's not just singing all the time. 
right? It doesn't say like Ezra preaches 24 hours a day for seven days a week. It says they hear the, the word of God every day, that they praise, that they feast, right? That is just fellowship. That is just good food and drink and relaxing. Sign me up for that. Through Nehemiah, we've gotten to see God working through his people at every level. And we've gotten to see God's plan not just for the redemption of his people, but for their thriving, for their joy. And the same loving God who made a way for the redemption of sinners like you and me through the blood of his son Jesus wants to see us thrive in the truth as well. God wants to see our hearts overflowing with a kind of joy that causes us to go against the rhythms of life. That's what this worship does. It goes against the rhythm of the world to slow down when the world says, speed up to slow down and fellowship, to eat and drink with friends and foes alike, right? With believers and sinners alike, with our neighbors and our families, to feast, to hear his word and respond with worship. Which because of our God's great mercy, we have the opportunity to do right now, right? This picture, this party that's happening, the preaching of the word, the stirring of our affections and emotions to God, realizing the depravity that we walk in, that our hearts are sinful, that wreck us, that bring us down, but then God is there to say, but but child, I have made a way. Yes, you have fallen short, but I have not. I have made a way for you. And then we get to respond in worship, right? Today, we're going to do that with singing. But man, can we do that when we leave here today? Can we continue to battle the enemy and worship in all that we do, right? In our families and in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods to feast, to celebrate. I'm not necessarily saying take off the next week like and, and build some tents in your neighborhood and do that. But if you do that, send me an invitation. I want to check it out. All right? But our God is great. And in all things, he offers us mercy, daily graces that we have and opportunities that we have to worship him. Band, you guys can come back up. I want to leave you with psalms like I did last time. The psalms are just so good for my heart, especially with worship and focus. But Psalm 13, verse 5 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. He has dealt bountifully with us. Maybe you've experienced captivity, right? Maybe you felt it physically. Maybe you have felt it spiritually. 
But God in his salvation of us has dealt bountifully for us and we are to sing and rejoice. What an opportunity that is to combat the devil who would distract us and sing with joy for much do we have to sing about.